We're going to continue on in Malachi. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Malachi chapter 1. And, you know, a lot of times we go through the, the minor prophets or, or even in Malachi, sometimes it just seems like we're just, um, like he's been sent to beat us up spiritually. You know what I mean? It's just like boom, 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 boom. But you need to understand that there's grace in that. That the the way the Lord's confronting the people is not because he's, you know, this, you know, um, just wrathful, angry God. He's the God of wrath and justice, of course. But it's not in that spirit. It's so that these people will wake up. Because the idea is, and I think all of us who are truly Christians, who know the Lord, we want everybody to come to know the Lord, right? We just do. And the worst thing that can happen is if there are those who think they know God and they're kind of serving God and they're going through the motions with God. And then at the very end, when they stand before the Lord, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's tough stuff. Because we have people in our lives we know are unbelievers, we're praying for them. Then we know that we have our believers and we're in the Lord. And then there are those who are right there. That's kind of the spirit here. God sends the prophets to wake these people up. If if they're in the Lord, then you start serving him rightly. But you really need to examine yourself to make sure you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the hope that you come to. If you're you're at that place, say, well, maybe this fits me. It's a little too close for me. It's a little too, you know, hitting home here a little bit. Well, search your heart and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the overall um, comfort I want to give you from these passages that we're going to read. Because it's another tough one today, I'm not going to lie. So here we go. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. And I'm going to read through verse 14. Here's the Lord saying, saying these words. He's saying, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered in my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what weariness this is, and you snort at it says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or lame and sick, and this you bring as an offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations." Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much. Thank you for your precious word, Lord God. Thank you for this time together. And as we go into your word, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us, upon me, Lord, to bring forth your truth and bring conviction where there needs to be conviction, comfort, Lord God, and and healing in, in the Lord Jesus. So please, I pray that you would be with all of us as we gather around your word, as we're in your word, Lord, to bring honor and glory to your name. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you can identify with this. If you've been in a relationship and you've really been in love with somebody, I don't know, maybe high school, maybe now, sometime in your life, you know. You've been in a relationship 
for a while, and then that person you're in love with, or you know, you think you're in love with, or they think they're in love with you, kind of shows no interest in you anymore. You know, they they're not texting you all the time. They're not calling you twenty four seven. You know, what what's going on? And you kind of get the sense that they're just not that into you anymore at all. But they go through the motions, you know, not as frequent, not as excited to be with you, that that kind of thing. Have you ever been through this, any of you in your life, in your relationships? Probably, no, yes, yeah. Um, but you get to that point after a while, it's like, you know what, I know you don't really love me. Don't Don't patronize me anymore. Don't... You know, don't go through the most, don't pretend that you still care. But it's so painful, isn't it, when when that person that you've loved or had affection for just doesn't like you anymore, just kind of bored with you. That's That's not good, is it, when that happens? And it's bad enough when it happens amongst us in our human relationships. But you know what? It's downright sinful when it happens towards God. When when the people who say they love God all of a sudden start feeling like that and acting that way and say, you know what, I'm just not in, in into the Lord that much. I'm just, you know, going to go do do my own thing. That There's no ground for that ever. You know, it's one thing in our human relationships, but towards God, we never have a reason to be like that, to be bored with God, to be put off by God, especially as we profess a belief in him. He's altogether perfect, lovely, righteous, and just. You know, you could find fault in other people, of course, but there's no fault in God. And there's never a reason or excuse to put God off. But you see, that's what these people were doing, man. They were going through the motions with God. You know how that how hurtful that is for you on, on our level. Can you imagine us to God? Just kind of going through the motions with God, with your creator, the one who made you, the one who gave his son for you in that way? So the Lord says this, if you're going to come to me in that way, I'd rather you just shut the doors, man. Just don't don't even come and, and offer me anything in that way and with that heart because that's patronizing and that's false. And I'd rather not have you come at all if you're going to come. I wish there was one person who would shut the doors because it's useless what you do. You're gathering, you're coming, you're offering but it does not, your heart is not in it at all. She says, I take no pleasure in you. Wow, what conviction that is from God. I, I'm not happy at all with what you're doing, how you're approaching me, what you're offering to me. How dare you do that? You, know, you keep saying, how don't we love you? How aren't we worshiping you right? That, when you think about this text here, if you think about it, it echoes, doesn't it? it, it, it there's, a, there's like connective tissue to Matthew um, chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Because they're saying, why, how haven't we loved you? How haven't we done this? You know, look at this on the last day. The Lord says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are people that thought they knew God, thought they loved God, did what they were supposed to do in terms of worshiping God, but they never really knew him. And that's that's like a pastor's nightmare for sure. That's what keeps me up at night as a pastor at times. When I'm thinking that as we're bringing forth the word that there are going to be those who may stand before the Lord and say, didn't I go to church? And Didn't I read my Bible? And didn't I do this? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. We want authentic relationship with Christ for you. Amen? Praise God. That's what this is all about. 
And that's where what we're going to today with this. Because to be where these people are right now, it's a very, very dangerous place because they kind of think they have God in a way, but they really don't. That's a bad place to be spiritually for sure. At least if you're an unbeliever, you know that, right? And you kind of admit that you need to, you know, you need the Lord in that way. But when you're fooling yourself, that's a different story. And that's dishonoring to Almighty God. And they are disgracing his name, in fact, by bringing the offering in this way. So notice what the Lord says. He says this, look, my name is going to be great among the nations, right? Says from the rising of the sun in verse 11 to the setting of the sun, my name is going to be great among the nations and every place incense will be offered in my name for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then over in verse 14, um, he says in the second half of that verse, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be great among the nations. He's, I'm give, You have what everybody else in this world needs, and you're treating me like this, and you're coming in this manner before me? Everybody, all the nations need what you have in me, and yet you're coming to me, right? How, you see how, again, patronizing that is, and how awful that is to to come before the Lord in that way. He emphatically emphatically declares that his name is going to be great, right? His name, and listen, check this out. His name is already great. It always was great. It always will be great. But when he says it's going to be great among the nations, he's speaking in terms of redemptive history. It's great among the nations right now, isn't it? When he was saying this back then, the gospel hadn't gone forth in its fullness the way it is right now. So his name is great. And it's the name above all names. So they have what the world needs so desperately. And yet, look how they're treating their God, just taking it for granted, just going through the motions. Are you kidding me or what? That's not how we're to live as Christians, man. Most of all people, we should be grateful, joyful. Right? I'm not, do you know what I'm saying? Because of what he's done for us. And we think about that. We're going to do that. We're going to want to be with the Lord. Our desire is going to be to be more faithful to him. The world needs him. His name is great. And his name is great in all its fullness in Jesus Christ, right? Where we're at right now. That's the great name in all its fullness, in Jesus Christ. That name of Jesus is a name that's above all names. At that name, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, you're going to do that in judgment or you're going to do that in honor and glory. You pray it's honor and glory. Lord, I love you. Of course, you're Lord. But you will bow before him one day. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Those sitting in a darkness saw a great light. That's the hope. His name will be great in the world. John 1, 4 and 5 says this. In him was life. That's in Jesus. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. His name's going to go to the ends of the earth. Psalm 22 tells us that as well. His name's going to be great in the nations. Psalm 22, all the ends of earth, that's everywhere. Every corner of the world will turn to the Lord and families of the nations shall worship before you. When Jesus came, he, that, that word was going out. It was in Israel, but remember the centurion? Remember his faith, how strong his faith was? He said, Lord, I don't want you to come to my house. I know all you have to do is say the word and my servant's going to be here. Don't you love that faith? That's the faith we want to have. And Jesus said, that's right, it'll be done. How about as he goes through, through some, uh, Samaria and a Samaritan woman and then later the, the Samaritans come to him. His name is going out to all the nations, man. It's not just confined there. It's for all people in that way. The Seraphonician woman, 
Oh, if I could just touch his cloak, I know that there'll be healing. You see that kind of faith? That's, that's the faith that we're, we're talking about here. That's the faith that's going out to all nations. Acts 1.8 tells us this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. His name is great, and it's going to all the nations. And here they are now, those people, so many of them, just taking him for granted. His name will be great. He saves his people. He is, Jesus is the perfect, well-pleasing sacrifice, the one-time offering of himself, that perfect sacrifice without blemish, offers himself one time to satisfy divine justice, to reconcile lost sinners to holy God. He was their God. And yet so many of those people there, and I'm telling you right now, so many today that profess Christ are just like the people here that we're reading about man. And that's why I'm warning you. That's why this is tough stuff. That's why it's a bad place to be. Because you might say with your lips, yeah, I love God, but in your heart you're dishonoring God. You're disrespecting God and you're disregarding God. And there are th- and I'm not just saying that off the top. There are three major headings, three major indicators, three major red flags right in our text today that show us this, that you're not worshiping God, you're not walking with God the way you ought to be, man. And he takes no pleasure in that. You can't get over on him. You can't fool him. So, so I want to look at that today, and I want you to, to really think closely and look into your own heart, because this is, this is not a game. This is life and death. This is about eternity. And I want you to know and love the Lord. So three indicators that these people were doing, their attitude towards the Lord, that show that they were not, that they were not pleasing to him. And you're not pleasing to him when this is characteristic of you. Capiche? Okay, number one. What's number one? Let's look at verse 13. He says this. He said, you profane my name in verse 12. My table's polluted. Verse 13. But you say, here's what the people say. What weariness is this? And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. Let's stop right there. Number one. You know that you're not worshiping God, walking with God as you ought to, and he has no pleasure in you and in this. When simply put, you're bored with God. That's it. When you're bored with God and the things of God. It says it says right here, it says, look, I, I, there's a weariness. You are wearied by me. You know what it's like when you're bored with something or someone or in a, right? You just, oh, man, I don't want to even go there. I'm, I'm wearied by this. Don't even say that to me. You just kind of, it's, 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 it's a sigh. Oh, okay. We got to get up and we got to go. Sure, we'll do this. Right? Is that the attitude that, that the Lord expects? Is that how, how we are? Is people are supposed to come? I guess I'll go. Man, I hope it ends soon. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's like tiresome. It's a bur- That's a really strong word when he says weary. You're weary of me. You're bored with me, God says in that way, in the things of God. Right? That's not, that's not a sign of, of, of his people in that way. No anticipation, no delight in the Lord. Instead, it's obligation and, and indifference in, in a way. Right? He says they snort at it. And that snort, when he says they snort at it, that's a metaphor. And it was used of like the cattle. If they didn't like the, the food 
their fodder. Now, you would never think that cattle wouldn't like it. you think they would just eat anything. Even they're picky at times. So they, if they don't like the hay that's there, if it's old or whatever, what they'll do is they'll snort at it, and they won't eat it, and they'll turn away and walk away from it. And that's where we kind of get the phrase. They turn up their nose at it. This is boring. Give me something fresh. Give me something new. Give me something good. I'm bored with this. Well, that's the attitude that these people had towards the Lord. This is just boring. I'm just put out by the Lord. Now, listen, it's, it's not uh, a lack of motivation as Christians. At times, as Christians, we just, you know, we need to be motivated at times. And it's just tough sometimes to get into the Word, to be in prayer. We all struggle with that from time to time, right? Or is it just me? No? I think? Yeah, okay. It's, it's not that. It's, it's not even a dry season. There might be a season in your life where you're just kind of away from the Lord and the things of the Lord. But you know in your heart of hearts where you need to be, right, in the Lord. You're just not there because of your own sin or whatever you're into at that time. But this is a lack of interest. It's a chore, and it's a bore even to be in the world. I have so many other better things to do. Just give me another distraction and I'll be okay. That's the idea. You're just not really interested. And don't you think the Lord knows that? Don't you think he sees that? And that's what he's saying here. You, I'm wearisome to you. What an insult that is to Almighty God that, that it's just so difficult and uh, uh, boring to, to get to the Lord. You're distracted. You're disinterested. You're uninvolved in worship. You're kind of looking at the time. Two hours of your week is like a half hour too long for you to be in worship because, oh, you know what, I got things to do. You can think about your whole week, two hours, long time, whatever. When's this guy going to be done? I got to go. I have better things to do. That's the idea that's here. You're here in your body, but you'd rather be somewhere else. And that's that's what's going on with these people. And that's why the Lord says, no, you're weird by me. I have no pleasure in that. How can he if, if, if that's the attitude? Now look, man, I get it. I understand. In my Roman Catholic days, I was disinterested. I was bored. I would go to church. And I know many of you can relate. I'm just giving you my, my story, but you guys have your own story in regards to this, this kind of thing. You may have gone to church. I went to church. I was bored. I was bored out of my wazoo, uh, just kind of couldn't wait for it to end. I knew this, this, you, you'd go to a certain mass because what? They had, they lasted like 45 minutes, right? It was, and they had to be that 45 minutes. So I'd get home a quarter to 12 before the pregame started for the Steelers, but I'd go and do my church thing, the 10th, Bill's laughing. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but you go through the motions and that, 45 minutes couldn't go by fast enough and you'd spend a lot of time looking and you're just like a zombie. Amen. Bow. You know, get up. You knew when to bow. You knew it. Right? You go, is the Lord pleased with that? No. But when I was converted, when my heart was changed, when I was transformed in the Lord, I ended up at a little, he brought me to a little Baptist church. I could not wait for Sundays. And not just because Laura was there. This is even before I met Laura. I couldn't wait for Sundays. Yeah, the grace people know. You're laughing. I couldn't wait to get to church. I couldn't. I, 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 and it, it, it went by so quickly. It was nothing fancy. You know that if you went to grace. It was good, solid preaching, strong teaching, sincere worship. I couldn't get enough. And I still can't from the Lord. And you know that if you're a Christian. Again, there might be dry seasons, hard to be motivated at times, but we love the Lord and we're never wearied by him or the things of the Lord. 
If you are wearied, and I want you to listen to this, if you are wearied by the Lord, that's a serious indication of a problem. Because here's the deal. When he changes you, he puts his love in his heart. Uh, his love for him in your heart. That's what he does. He puts his love in our hearts. And if he, do, if, if he doesn't have your heart, then you're going to be wearied by the things of God. If he doesn't have your heart, it's going to be so tough to open the Bible. If he doesn't have your heart, you're just going to be going through the motions. you understand? Do you know what I'm saying? You might do it, but you're just going through the motions like these people were. And that is not pleasing to the Lord. You'll be wearied in worship. And I'm not saying, you know, sometimes worship services could be a little difficult to get through. I'm not trying to get all pastors off the hook in that, but you know what I mean in your heart of hearts. If it's just going going here, you're going to be bored with the worship. You're going to be put out by the word. The demands of the gospel are going to be too much for you. And you're not going to go through with it because you can't. That's an indication of what's going on here. And that's the warning. Check your heart. Where are you with the Lord? Are you restless? Restless, uninterested, and on the move. That happens all the time with people so so often in this in this place. They'll come, they'll be restless in church, they'll stay for a while, uninterested, fidgeting, moving around, and then they're gone to the next church. So they'll stay for a year or two, and then they'll go off to the next church to look for something else, maybe something a little more that suits them and their excitement and so on and so forth, till they get bored with that as well. You need to listen to me right now. His people, his people delight in the Lord and they love to be with him and they love their time with him and they can't wait to be in the word even if they're distracted, even if they're going through difficult times, even if they're in a dry season, there's a desire to be in the word and we, we go, we run to him, we delight in the Lord. We look forward to meeting with him. I'm not kidding when I say I can't wait for Sundays to come. I love it to be with the Lord and with his people and worshiping him. We look forward to being in the word, in worship, in fellowship. I'm going to turn to just a few of the Psalms of Ascent. And this is when God's people would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. You don't have to turn with me. We are going to be turning pages today, so get ready. But I'm just going to go to the Psalms of Ascent as people were going to Jerusalem for the festival. And I just want you to hear these words of that joy that's in their hearts. Listen to this. Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes, like the dew of Hermon that falls on the mountains. For the Lord has commanded the blessing in life evermore. Come and bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Give praise, O servants, to the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the Lord, in the courts of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possessions. I can go on and on, but you see that? That's the joy that you have in the Lord, that worship that coming to him. I do want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I want you to see the fellowship in the Lord and just that... The, the joy of, of being in, in his presence and being with him. You can't be bored with him if you're in him. And if you're bored with him, then you're, prob- you're not in him. You understand? And that's what's going on here at this time. And God's saying, that's not pleasurable to me. Get right. See, there's hope in Christ. So look at um, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. This is what it's like, man. This is what it should be like. This should be the excitement. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread and in prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing them, the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You see that? That's the joy of, of the Lord and in fellowship. Uh, John, First John 5 tells, his commands are burdensome. If you love him, if you love, then they're not, it's, we want, we have that desire to be with him. These people were wearied by the, by the Lord. That's a bad sign. If this is just all so boring and so bad, again, I'm not trying to get the, the preachers or teachers off the hook. They should bring the word as they ought to in a way that's winsome and helpful. But the point is in the heart of hearts, do you really want to be here? Do you really want to be in the presence of the Lord? These people were doing that and going through the motions. You wouldn't like that if somebody treated you that way. I'm just with you just because, you know, nothing better to do right now. No, nowhere better to go. You don't want that from people. You want them to love you, to honor you in that way, and to respect you. They were wearied by God. Are you? Number two, that's number one. <clears throat> number two, check out verse 13b, the second half of uh, verse 13. It says, it goes on and says, and you snored at it, the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame and sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? No, the answer is no. Number one, if you're bored with the things of the Lord. Number, number two, when you're careless with the things of the Lord. When you're reckless, 13b. Well, you just bring whatever you see fit. I'm just going to bring whatever I want. I'm just going to get lame. It's like you don't care really what you bring to God as long as you bring something. Oh, he'll be happy with this. Oh, he'll be okay with this if I do this. Oh, at least, you know, if there's some sincerity in my heart. No, 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 no. We want to please the Lord. You can't be careless in your life as a Christian. Because when you're careless, it means you could care less in so many ways about what's important to God. He said, taken by violence. That means by stealing. Some people just go and steal. Like they're not even going to use their own flock. Just grab something off the side of the road, something that's been maimed or injured. I'm just going to take that and bring it to God. That's good enough. At least it's an offering to him. Would you accept that in any way? No. But here's the idea behind it. This is what I want you to really get. The idea is that they're not careful to give God what he requires and what he desires but you just give kind of with a willful indifference to the Lord. Look, Deuteronomy 15.21 says this very precisely. Look, you, <clears throat> about bringing your offering, but if it has any blemishes, if it's lame or blind, has any serious blemishes, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord. These people, these dudes right now, they're just taking what they want and giving to God, saying, here you go, God. And they, even in the word, the Lord says, no, you're not doing it the way I'm commanding you to. You're not being careful. You're not taking the time. You're not being thoughtful. You're not making the effort to discern, to find the very best, to evaluate, and then bring that to God. It's just like, okay, I'm just going to take this and give it to you. You know how much we do that in our own lives? How much leftover, warmed over garbage that we give to the Lord, that we're not careful, that we're not discerning, that we're not thinking. We give like from the sick and the lame, and we're careless. 
He's saying you can't be careless if you're a follower of mine. You have to be discerning. But even so many professing Christians today, we're just careless, right? We're careless in our worship. We don't care how God wants us to worship Him as much as we care about what we get from the worship or what we want to give to God and say, God, you'll be happy with this because it's from my heart type of thing. No, it doesn't work like that. God says, here's how you are to worship me. You guys know this. Many of you know what's called the regulative principle of worship, right? If you don't know that, all that means is Whatever God commands is what we do in Scripture. That's what we bring Him, what He wants us to bring Him. Whatever's not commanded is forbidden. We can't just bring anything we want into worship of God. He tells us in His Word. That's why we do the things that we do. The Bible regulates how we worship Him because that's the way He wants to be worshipped. That's the way He's pleased. That's why we sing the Psalms and hymns that we do. That's why, and they're sound. That's why we read the Word. That's why we preach the Word. That's why we pray. All this is in the Word. This is how you approach me. Not the way you, we can't be careless and say, oh, God is going to be pleased with this no matter what I bring, no matter what I do. It's called the regulative principle of worship. The other side of that is, look, if it's not forbidden, then it's okay. If it's not strictly forbidden, then I could do it. See, that opens up anything you want to do. So you can go to church. Um, I forget the name of Andy Stanley's church, but they were playing, and it's a huge, huge church and, and all that, but they were playing Stairway to Heaven. Oh, that's a cool song, you know. That's not, you want to play Stairway to Heaven somewhere else, that's fine. It is a good song out in a different context, but not in worship. There's another church that played Highway to Hell, and they were trying to make a point, you know, but they were singing that, and they brought that in their worship service. See, that's not what God commands. You can't do that. You can't have plays. You can't just, oh, I'm just going to bring this to you, Lord. No, that's careless. That's what these people were being. I'm just going to give you whatever I want to give you. We need to be careful to worship him with the worship that honors him, that, that, that's due him, that he commands us. Do you understand that? That's a big deal. That's why we can't offer strange fire. Remember those two boys that came in and offered the strange fire? What happened to them? Yeah, gone. You can't do that. We offer him and we approach him as we will. We need to be careful. Too many professing Christians are careless in their worship. Too many professing Christians are careless in their doctrine. You're careless about what you believe and what the Word actually teaches. You don't take a real interest in what God actually is teaching us and wants us to know about himself, about who we are, about our sin, about salvation, about living this life. We're not, we're careless in that way. So you have professing Christians today that say, oh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, they're Christians too. They'll be in heaven with us. Okay, really? They serve another God. They might be nice people, but they serve another God and not believing in Christ. Are you kidding me? We have a lot of professing Christians They say, oh, the Catholics, they're cool. We just have a few minor differences with them, but we serve the same God. And Listen, man, I'm not saying there aren't Catholics that aren't truly converted, but our doctrines are miles apart. Our doctrine of how you are saved, of how you get to heaven, of how you're justified before God is completely different. And yet we have, that's, no, that's okay. We have careless, oh, there's room for critical race theory within the church as a teaching tool. We could bring that in and teach how, you know, it's, 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 you know, if, if, if you're born white, then you're automatically racist and, and, you know, we need safe space. Are you kidding me? Is that, is that careful? That's careless. We don't do that. But that's what these people were doing. And that's an indication when you're just going to bring whatever you want to hear, God, I'm going to give this to you instead of saying, this is what God demands. And I want to know that. 
Too many professing Christians are just careless in how you live. You call yourself a Christian man, but you degrade the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. People look and see you and say, what, you're a Christian? You're just like me, and I'm not a Christian. What's the difference? Oh, I want to be cool. We can relate. We're all messed up. Oh, wait a minute. We are called to be different. We are set apart. We are to be holy. We are to be different. Our witness needs to be different in a watching world. It does. We're not trying to impress them as a watching world. We're we're being who we are in Jesus Christ and bringing the gospel to them. So many claim to be Christian, but there's so little difference. Are we we kind of qualified what kind of Christian we are? I'm gay Christian. I'm trans Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm feminist Christian. No, you're Christian. If you're in Christ, you're Christian. That's it. We're inconsistent. We're hypocritical. We're too easy on ourselves. Oftentimes, oh, you know, nobody's perfect in this life. We don't care, and we're careless about how we live the Christian life and what witness we get. We go and get wasted before the people. Yeah, but I love Jesus, man. And oh, okay. No, we can't be careless in this way. We simply slap the Christian label on it, and automatically it's Christian, but it's just like the world. So the Christian music industry, CCM, half those artists are, are denouncing the faith, or deconstructing their faith. They're leaving like crazy out of there. But slap Christian on it, and it's cool. No, that's careless. That's what these people are doing, and too many people do that today. See? Not to do that. That's number two. A Christian, if you love Jesus Christ, and you love Jesus Christ, what do you say? Teach me your ways. I want to know your ways. I want to know what you want me to do for you. I want to know the truth. I want to know how to serve you. That's what I want. I want to know your ways. Teach me your ways. The psalmist cries out, make me to know them so I may please you. You tell me what you want me to do. You tell me what I need to believe. Even if it's hard for me. Even if it's difficult. Even if I don't get it, I want to please you because you love me. Hebrews 5.14 says this, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practicing and distinguishing good from evil. You need to know the difference. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. You need to be able to spot the error in others and say, oh, I'm this, but I'm Christian. No, wait a minute. That's not consistent with the Bible. That's not how God tells us to come and worship him. That's not what God demands from us. You need that. To have discernment. That's how, that's how we grow in the Lord. So you're in trouble. These people were in trouble because they were wearied. They were bored with God. I'm bored with you, God. And this stuff is just a hassle to go through. I don't even, I got better things to do. And they were careless. I'm just going to give you whatever I choose to give you, not what you want me to give you. And then number three, and this is the last one. Number three, you know you're in trouble when you're selfish and hypocritical towards God. Verse 14, verse 14 says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Check it out, right? This is getting around. And people do this all the time, getting around, having truly to obey God. 
right? Have, getting around, the, yes, uh, I'm, I'm going to say the right things, but then I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change it up. Or I'm going to use that to kind of get what I want and not truly, truly serve God. We have so many examples of this in Scripture. I do want to, we're going to turn some pages now. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to um, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, because I want you to see this. This is the hypocritical way. People did it then, people do it now. Oh yeah, I'm going to offer this to you, but not really. I guess I'll just give you this offering instead, Lord God. I'm going to keep it for myself because this one is too good to give to you, right? I'll give you what's left over. I'll give you what's warmed over, but I'm not going to give you the best. I'm not going to give you my very best. I'm going to hold something back from you, God, because I'm keeping that for me, God. See? So you can have this, but not this one. So I'm not going to offer this beautiful, unblemished lamb that, you know, could really produce more and more, but I'll give you this, you know, sick one over here. And, and you could have that instead. Because I need this one over here because that will give me better, better ones to offer you in the future. Yeah? See that game? See that game? That's, that's how the Pharisees played that game with Jesus in uh, Mark chapter 7. And you know the story, most of you. It's about the Corbin. It's about the offerings. It's about caring for your parents in their, in their old age. The Pharisees had a really cool way of getting around that so they can get the money for themselves. Right? So in uh, Mark chapter 7 beginning in uh, verse 9. We'll go back to verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. In other words, saying, look, I have money that I can help you. I can get you set up in a nice place. But you know what? We're going to give that to God, and I'll just take care of that for the time being. And you don't have to worry, Mom and Dad. You'll be okay where you're at right there. Just just kind of stay in that one-room shack that you're living in, and I'm going to take your money, and I'll manage it, and you'll be okay. See, that's what they're doing. But they could justify it before God because we're giving it to God, and we're giving it to the church. And we're going to, like a lot of the health and wealth preachers do, you know, we're going to help you. They take their money and do what they want with it in that way. So, so then you no longer permit them to do anything for his father and mother. Thus you make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Do you see that? That's exactly what Malachi is referring to when he says you cheat. You know, you say you're going to give this to the Lord and then you do something else because you're selfish and hypocritical as, as that way. Ananias and Sapphira, what did they do? Remember? With the money, oh, we're going to sell our property and we're going to give you the money. But what did they do? They held back. Now, they could have kept their money. They could have been honest and said, you know, I'm going to give this much to the cause and we're going to keep this much. But they made the impression that they gave everything they had. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? That's right. Same thing that happened to the two boys. Right? The idea, and here's the idea, is failure to give yourself fully to God. And that's what made God so angry. That's why he said, I'm not pleased, because you're not giving yourself fully to me. You're giving me what's left over. You're not giving me your best. You're not giving me your heart. That's just asking too much, God. Now, I'll give you this, but I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to sacrifice that much. I'm not going to do this, Lord. That's mine. Your time, your talents, your resources. Who gave more, the widow with her might or the rich man that gave out of his abundance? It's nice. He gave out of his abundance, but that didn't hurt him one bit. 
She gave everything she had. Are you willing to do that? To serve the Lord? Jesus said she gave more. She gave one little penny, less than a penny, but it was more valuable than the thousands of dollars from the rich man who gave out of his abundance. Because you could do that. Now, if the rich man gave everything he had, if the rich young ruler would have sold everything and followed Christ, right? And we don't want to do that. I'll give you so much, Lord, but then this is mine. Can't do that. Look at um, Luke chapter 7. I'm going to ask you to turn with Luke to Luke chapter 7. Another beautiful example, um, depending on how you look at it, example of this. Jesus is at the Pharisee's home, at Simon's home, and a woman comes in, a woman of ill repute comes in and begins to worship Jesus and, and praise Jesus, and the Pharisees have a problem with that in their own hearts. And look, how, look, look, and this is the idea of giving everything you have unashamedly for Christ instead of holding back. Check it out. Verse 7, um, chapter 7, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 44. Then turning towards the woman, Jesus said to Simon, see, he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says to him, do you see this woman? I came into your house. I entered your house, and you gave me no water. You didn't give me anything. You didn't, you didn't go and say, here, I'm honoring you, Lord. Here, this is mine, but it's yours. You gave, me, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Do you see that? You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she's not ceased from kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with her ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Do you see? Do you understand? That's, that's giving everything that you have. Simon didn't do anything for him. He let him into his house. That was about it. You could have dinner. But no, I'm not, I'm not, he should have washed Jesus' feet, right? Because of who Jesus is. He should have loved them. I'm not going to go that far. But this woman, who didn't even deserve to be in that house technically, gave him everything. That's the spirit. That's what he wants. That's what he deserves from us, doesn't he? But what do we give him? His name is great. Our king, we owe him everything. Every inch of us is what we owe him. Listen, ma'am, if you're bored, if you're careless, if you're selfish, I'm telling you, turn to him now, today. Today is the day of salvation. Trust in him, know him, love him. There's joy in salvation. There's the joy of salvation that nothing can take away. Nothing can separate. No difficulty, no hardship. You're a Christian. You know that joy. If you're not and you're trying, then you're frustrated. And that's not where we want to be. So the offer is, look, man, lay yourself aside right now and give yourself to Jesus Christ. Call upon his name. Know that sweetness of trusting in Christ. He says, anyone who calls on my name will be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that he's Lord. Trust in him. Stop being so frustrated. Stop trying so hard because it's not going to work. You need to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him. Because then you'll know what it means to delight in the Lord. 
You'll know what it means to have that deep satisfaction that he brings, even in the most wearisome times that we find ourselves in, even when we struggle at times to to keep up in our faith. You know the joy of the Lord, and he will be your delight. In Psalm 37, verses 46, will make great sense to you. Delight yourself in the Lord. If you're a Christian, you know what it means to delight. I love you, Lord, so much. I can't wait to be in your word. I can't wait to be in your fellowship. I can't wait to be with your people. I can't wait to gather because we are with you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light in your justice as the noonday. See, that's the Christian perspective. That's what it looks like, that you long for fellowship. You look forward to fellowship in the Lord. You look forward to Sundays. It's not like, oh, I've got to drag my rear end out of bed to get that church. No, I can't wait to get up and be with the people of God. When you love the Lord, you'll love to be careful. You will love it. You will love to be careful. You'll love to see what God wants us to really know and do, actually. Not just what I feel like giving the Lord. Not just what I think this might say or what this might mean. You're going to love to be in the Word. You're going to love to be careful to do all that He commands. Am I pleasing you, Lord? Am I on with this Word? And I got the, the teachers in our class here that, that teach the women. And they'll call me up from time to time saying, Pastor, I just want to make sure that this is right. I want to make sure I'm on track. You know, we want to know. We want to understand actually what he is truly teaching and has for us and commands. We want to be servants of righteousness, to seek it, to get after it for his glory and for our good. That's why, for his glory. That's why I want to know what he actually teaches because he needs to be glorified and it's good for us. If I'm teaching you what he's not teaching, that's not good for you, and he's not being glorified. When you love him, you will humbly and selflessly give yourself. It's not going to be a big deal. It's not going to be a big stretch. You will, you'll, want, you'll be humbled by giving yourself away. Like, you know, the gifts and talents that you have? Y- yes. You know, without thinking about earning points, without, you know, reciprocation, nothing like that. I just want to give of myself what God's given to me. I know what the talents I have. I'm ready to serve. I'll give my time. I'll give my resources. I'll give what I have God's given me to you. Just like the Macedonian Christians. There was a tiny church, probably like our size. There was a famine in Jerusalem, and the, and the Christians were going hungry. They never met these Christians. It'd be like us helping Christians in a you know, faraway place, another country. There's a famine there. We've never seen these brothers and sisters, but there's a small church in Macedonia. Paul said they wanted so much to give to these people. They were poor themselves as a church. They didn't have a lot of resources, but they begged Paul. They begged him to give to that fund. And they gave, and they gave more beyond, Paul says, their means in order to help brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what that is. That's what happens in Christ. We don't hold back. I'm not going to say, I'll give you this much, God, and I'll give you this over here, but I'm not going to give you all of me. I'm not going to give you my heart completely. No, we give ourselves completely to the Lord. Do you understand? When we do this, and this is the hope, the, the ultimate hope in Malachi, not just to talk about the difficulties and the hardships, but to push through that, to get into the place where they need to be, so that it's not a hassle, so that it's not a drag, so that you do care more, and so that you're very careful about what we do in a Christian life, right to Christ. Do you understand? That's the push here. Get beyond. That's the problem, but here's the solution. 
It's Jesus Christ. It's trusting in him. It's living for him. And when we do that, it goes from the Lord saying, I take no pleasure to him saying, I delight in you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Who wants to hear that when they stand before the Lord? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have served me. Amen? Praise God.